God, as we study now through this, keep us alert. Speak tenderly, speak directly, but speak in such a way that life abounds in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, we got to sit in on a worship service in trust. Remember that worship service? It was a long one. How long did it go? Ah, a little longer. Went till midnight. Then they had the little half, the, the, the bathroom break with the kid falling out of the window, right? Three stories. He fell, he died and brought back up. And then they kept going till dawn. It was a long, it was an all-nighter service. We saw how Christ-centered that service was. And we walked through that and we looked at some of the principal marks of a Christian church service. We talked about the su- Sunday, the Lord's Day. I actually heard some encouraging uh, feedback from some of you guys where um, you were meditating on that when you came to church this past Sunday. And we had the Lord's Supper this past Sunday. How timely was that, right? And so praise God for that. Um, so last week, we got to sit in on a church service. This week, and for the next two weeks, I want to go slow on this. We're going to sit in and uh, ask Christy to put on the notes, my title is an elders meeting. We're going to sit in on an elders meeting, or in other words, a pastor's meeting. They're synonymous. They're interchangeable. They're interchangeable in this chapter. So it is also in Titus chapter one. We studied through that. Um, Speaking of the same group of men. And so I'm one of the pastors here at the church. You can also say biblically, I'm one of the elders. But you and I, we're going to get to sit in on this particular elders meeting. This is a special meeting. It's a speech, the only speech in all of the book of Acts that's recorded directly only to a, to a, to a group of Christians. Every, otherwise, all of Paul's talks and speeches, there was believers and non-believers. This one's all believers, but not just believers in the church, leaders in the church. All right. Now, before you kind of are tempted to tune out and clock out because you think, oh, well, pastor's meeting, I'm not a pastor. Or elder's meeting, I'm not an elder. Hold on. Be careful. Don't read your Bible like that. I don't tune out when the Bible's speaking about women. And when the Bible's speaking about children, I don't know. Oh. Or the Bible's speaking about deacons, I'm like, oh, I'm not a deacon. No, why? Because the Bible or all of us, we're, this is all connected. Actually, I'm glad that we're going to be talking about eldership because I wonder how much you've actually even thought about that. I was away speaking at a church. They asked me to come and speak on this very specific topic of eldership. And I confessed to them. I said, you know, I grew up in the church. I was, when there was wood pews here, not seats, I would chew on these pews. And I was one of the, the new one rats, like the kids running around vandalizing the church. And just, I grew up in this place. And for the longest time, I never really thought to think, why is that guy the pastor? And what makes a pastor a pastor? And how, is there only one pastor or are there supposed to be a bunch of pastors? I never really thought deeply about this and so i'm with you in that like okay if we're gonna have two messages two weeks talking about the pastorate or elders you're tempted to kind of just be like well maybe this isn't for me i'll come back in three weeks but why i would want to challenge you and say don't do that because this text teaches you how to pray for your pastors i mean if you're a believer and you're part of a church you have a pastor you have pastors but i just want to ask you a question do you pray for them and do you know how to pray for them? You know, you, you and I, we may not need to all know all the ins and outs about Pastor Bob, what he eats, what he doesn't like, or what him and Gail are going through. You, we don't have to know all those details, but the Bible gives us a lot of how we are to already know how to pray for him. You don't need to know what Pastor Johnny's dealing with right now in detail. But if you're familiar with the Bible enough, you know how to pray for that man. 
So don't tune out just yet because texts like this will teach you and I how to pray and support and even hold accountable your pastors. Texts like this will help us to prepare for the next generation. Why do I say that? Because the pastors who are here presently, we're paving the way for the future pastors. And what you're going to see in the scriptures is the pastor's job, one of our roles, is faithfully teaching the word to our children and our children's children. Those of you young people, you want to have children? What kind of influences do you want in their lives? What kind of teachers do you want them to have? How about even more critically, what kind of pastors do you want to be preaching to your kids? See, until I started thinking of it like that, that's when I started to really think, man, this is serious. Because as we have already read and saw, the pastors are men who are to be models to the church. They're the kind of, you're not going to just hear the guy talk about Jesus, but if you see him outside at the beach, you're going to be that much more inclined to watch and see how he lives. So we better, we better really be concerned and care about this, doc, this subject of elder eldership and lastly i would say don't tune out just yet because all the qualities and the attributes that we're going to see as we study as we sit in on this elders meeting those qualities that paul had that these ephesian elders are to have is the same qualities that every christian believer is to aspire to have paul said in first corinthians 11 imitate me as i imitate christ that's why it was beautiful i, I forget which sister brought it up um, all of this points, oh, this page, all of this is parallels, it's pointing, it's echoing to Jesus. So the things that we read here, yes, it's primarily being spoken to its original, um, what's the word? The, the original people who heard it, these elders, they're elders. But first, they are Christians. They're children of God. And so everything we see that is spoken to them, it is spoken to us. So please, don't tune out if you're thinking, well, I'm not an elder. Well, you might be one day, young man. Or you have elders over you, right? You know one. So we're going to read through this. And I'm going to point out a lot of things in this elders meeting that concerns elders, but also concerns the Christian. All right? Let's get going. Verse 17. Now for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. All right, special called meeting, elders meeting, which was about a three days journey. <laughs> Can you imagine getting the text? Hey, we get elders meeting. Oh, where? Miletus. Miletus. That's three days away. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and look, they all go. And they came to him. Verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, here's the beginning of the meeting. Well, first, sorry, let me go slower. I'm not going to harp on this one too long, but I just wanted to show you elders in plural, not singular. Just want to point that out. I'm not going to harp on that too much. But I want you to see that very, very, very clearly all through the New Testament, Whenever the office of elder is spoken of, it's in the plural. There's two times it's spoken of in the singular, but that's when Peter says, me, a fellow elder, singular. He's speaking of himself, but I'm a fellow elder. John does it in 2 John 2. He's like, you know, I'm an elder. 
but they're not arguing in that text for a singular eldership or elder. There's actually no model you ever see in your Bible of a one singular man leading the church, which is funny because that's so normative for us in our time of history, right? It's not uncommon to hear of a church of thousands with one guy who's their pastor. I just want to show you plainly in scripture. If you read all through the New Testament, look for elders, look for, look for any of those church leaders. It's always in the plural, okay? Moving on, moving on. He says to this step, you yourselves know, epistome, to put to your attention. You, when you think of me, that's the type of word. When you fix your thoughts on me, you are acquainted. You understand. You know through memory. That's this word. It's not like you've heard of me being this kind of guy. You know of me. That's this word. You yourselves know. And then he says, Ginomai, how I lived, how I existed, how I behaved. You know my character traits. And this is a beautiful thing. Among you. Among you. Not above you, but among you. First point, elders live among God's people, not above God's people. Paul is an apostle who's a forerunner of the eldership. The apostles are the model elders. And so Paul speaking to these Ephesian elders is like from one elder to another but a special elder, an apostle elder, the forerunner. And so he's going to, in this part of tonight, we're just going to talk about Paul talking about himself. And then next week, we're going to have him talking to the elders. But the first thing that I love that Paul points out is he lived among them. Go to 1 Thessalonians. We're not going to turn too much tonight, but this one is turn worthy for the point I want to Make, but go to First Thessalonians um, chapter 1. We're talking about elders live among God's people, not above them. First Thessalonians chapter 1. I mean, yeah, chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be, what's the word? Among you. You know what kind of men we proved to be. Well, what kind of men was that? Go to chapter 2. Look at verse 7. We were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us you see the picture that scripture is showing us of what it looks like when elders live among the people of god why because first they're sheep i'm a sheep just like you once the elders begin to think they are above the people of God, they contradict the very message they preached. See, elders live among the people of God. You know, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, not just Paul. He's not the only apostle that thinks like this. Let me read it to you. First Peter chapter 5. Actually, let's turn there. We're, in the new, we're, we're close enough. Go to First Peter chapter 5. 
First Peter chapter 5. This is another apostle. Verse 1. So I exhort the elders. You see that plural? Among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is, what's the word? That you're above? Shepherd the flock of God that needs your help, Peter, because you're the super Christian and they're not. No, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because I got to do this, because I get a paycheck to do this, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. The elders are not in this for the money, not for the comfortable living, but eagerly. Now look at this, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. Now why would Peter write that? Because there's a temptation that every elder faces is to start to live above. I'm a sheep. I am hurting just like everyone else in this room. And an elder, elders, elders are men who get in the trench with the people. They're not unaware of what's going on. They don't live in some cloud hovering above the common folk. They are the unschooled ordinary men. They are the sinners saved by the same grace. Second John chapter 12. I mean, second John verse 12. There's not 12 chapters. There's one. He says this, though I have much to write to you. This is another apostle. I'd rather use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. I don't like text. I like see you. That's an elder. I mean, text, if I can text, I can text, but I'd rather see you face to face. It's a beautiful verse. He says that twice in his little letters. That's why they're so short. He's like, you know what? I get this paper ink. I get plenty to say, but I'm going to stop right here. When can I see you? And I think the brevity of those letters preaches to us, not just the elders, but us. Are we a people that want to be among one another? See, the elder lives among, not above. Where did these apostles learn this? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became, verse 14, flesh, and he dwelt among them. Who's that speaking of? The good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He came from heaven to earth, and he lived. He sweat. He hurt. He got hungry. He washed feet. He rubbed shoulders. He cried with people. He bled for people. This is the spirit of our great good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And if elders are really elders, they embody that spirit. Don't you want men like this leading you? Or do you want pastors who are just public figures that are just distant and you don't even really know the guys? God help us work against that a new one about this church. I want none of that. Elders live among God's people. They're not above them. See, Paul is the kind of preacher that after preaching, he doesn't dash away into his backstage room like some celebrity preacher and just tuck away from the crowd. 
He's the kind of preacher who preaches and then he hangs out and it actually goes till midnight. And someone falls out the window and he comes back up and everyone's talking about the word. And he's like, you know, what? I'm down. I just let me just brush teeth real fast. and I'll be right back. And they go till dawn. That's the kind of preacher he is. He's not the kind of preacher that preaches, does his thing and then shoots him out. Bear one another's burdens. How do we do that if we're not among each other? Before we move on, are we among one another? Are we carrying one another's burdens in such a way? Are we rejoicing with and mourning with? Do we know how to rejoice? Do we know how to mourn with each other? This amongness is Christian spirit. And the elders are just to be exemplary of it. Not perfect at it, but there to model it and model it well. Will you in love choose to live among each other tonight? Will you rub shoulders with each other in such a way that you will, like when we read on, cry? That you will laugh? I challenge you to do this. Identify just who's among you. Notice that word is among, you know, Peter, Paul is not telling the Ephesian elders, pastor, everyone in the world, just whoever's in, whoever's right there, whoever's among you, identify who's among you in your life. Who do you normally typically just naturally bump into at church? All right. And then pray for an authentic heart. You know, Lord, let me truly care about Lauren. Let me be for Lauren's good and his life. Let me be so concerned with, with what's going on in Lauren's life as a young man right now. His interests and stuff like that. Lord, just let me really care. And then ask, seek, knock, and say, Spirit, make me available. Just see what happens. Pray for authenticity and then pray for availability with who's among you. Just see what happens. Let's keep going. Go back to Acts. So Paul starts off in this talk and he's like, you know how I lived among you. And then he starts to describe how he lived serving the Lord. I love that. Not serving myself, not serving my ministry name brand. I didn't come here to pass out Apostle Paul shirts. I just, this is all about Jesus. It's all about the glory of God. It's all about the Lord, kudios, Jesus Christ. And look at this, with all, not some, not half kind, all humility, pas, all humility. This is the, the, word for, the word study for humility, to have a deep sense of one's moral littleness. <laughs> one's moral littleness. The broader version for me is like, he's not that good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> humble opinion of oneself. Or this is another way, another translation, without arrogance. I like that one. All humility means there's no room for pride. No room for being taunted on. The pastor is not a place to puff yourself up. Once the pastor gets prideful, he compromises the very message he preaches. Because you know what the gospel does is it destroys all human pride. Pastors don't just teach total depravity. They believe it with all their heart. That's why they will sit and counsel across someone who's in adultery or sit and counsel across someone who's in pornography or sit and counsel someone who's 
a murderer, and not for a moment think they're better than them. Not for a moment think that they're more worthy than this person who's created in the image of God, who's broken and hurting. Why? Because the elder is so fully convinced. I'm unworthy to untie the sandals of King Jesus' feet. I don't even deserve to be speaking to you right now and telling you the good treasures that I found. So, friend who is broken and you have all that baggage that you're having such a hard time confessing and sharing to a member or an elder, if those Christians truly believe the gospel, they will serve you with all humility. And they're not going to tell you a bunch of steps to make yourself better and say, good luck, go for it. If you can hack it. No, the people of God, we serve with all humility because we are convinced that all saving grace comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. See, all humility isn't Paul being just like ultra polite, like, oh, man, I no need. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. But what can I do to help you? That's not humility. Humility is like, no, 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 I'm not good, but I'm saved by grace. What can I do to help you? I don't deserve to help you. You see the difference? The type of humility Paul had. It came from him realizing that he is a sinner. First Timothy 1.15, he says, Christ came into the world, Paul speaking, to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Luke 5.8, Peter, another apostle, when he realized Jesus was Lord, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. John the Baptist, I don't deserve to untie his slippers. You see where humility comes from? It starts with realizing you're a sinner. And the elders ought to be men who see that most clearly. That's why if you see me walking around on Sunday starting like I look like this. Oh, yeah, you like that. You know, you just see, you smell a little bit of that arrogance. You pause and pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy and give him humility. Remind him of who he is in Christ. Pray, 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 because your pastors are prideful men. And we need all humility. Hmm. Tears. All humility and tears. Here's the point. Elders serve the Lord with humble hearts. Elders serve the Lord with humble hearts. Tears. Dacrion. A tears, a shedding of tears. Paul uses this word a lot. Second Corinthians 2 4, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears. Hebrews 5 7, speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, supplications with loud cries and tears. What are tears? Really good actors and actresses can fabricate those tears, and they fool me pretty good. I get caught up in a movie. When I see them crying, I, I just can't help it. I, I, but, but, you know, there's tears that can be fabricated and forced and pretend. But these types of tears, these tears is the overflowing sign of true compassion and affection. This is, this is a a sign of what's going on in the apostle's heart, the elder's heart. That's why I say the elders serve the Lord with humble hearts. Elders have their hearts in this. It's heartfelt. 
Gott. For the glory of God and the good of his people. When's the last time you teared for the cause of Christ? For a brother or a sister and their walk with the Lord? Actors can fool us, but brothers, sisters, our fake tears won't fool our Lord God. Let's not try to fake and fabricate this. See, what happens is when we actually live among one another, the tears will flow and it won't be forced. That's why Paul writes things like rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. He's a man who lives among, that just came out naturally. At a graduation, because we've had, a, um, there, you know, it's May, everyone's getting graduated. Other than maybe the graduate, did anyone cry at their graduation? Oh, yeah, actually, you don't have to share. <laughs> but other than the graduate, who's often the people who are crying the most? The parents. When the baby is born, you know, we're praying and celebrating Robert and Raquel. Who, who's often in tears after that delivery? The baby, yes, the baby. It's a good sign if the baby, if the baby starts crying, crying like, yeah, you know. But um, who, who else is often in tears? The parents, right? At the football game, championship, the team, you know, we are the champions. You know, other than the fans, maybe, who's really, the tears are flowing. Like, they just can't. The coach. And the players. It's the, the parent is the one who was among that child all through the pains of life. The good and the bad, the ugly, the, just the, all the hardship. See, when we get to heaven, he says he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is going to be tears of glory because of the suffering we endured for the cause of Christ among each other together to the end. When we serve the Lord in all humility, and we're among each other, we run this race together. It's fitting for Luke to write, and with tears. Philippians 1.8, God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Matthew 9, Jesus went through and he was proclaiming the gospel, healing everyone, and he had compassion on them. Tears is the overflow of compassion, being among each other, running through this together. Elders are men who love God's people in such a way. And it overflows often from the heart, through their hands, and from their eyes. It's a humble, heartfelt service. When's the last time we've had a good cry for one another? And not the fake kind cry. Yeah. Let's keep going. Verse 19. You know how I lived among you? And he talks about humility and tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. With trials, Christian pointed out in observation time, the trials that are coming from the Jews is what? They like murder him. 
Remember the riot in Ephesus, all that stuff? In the midst of those trials, Ephesian elders, you saw what was happening to me. And look, verse 20, I didn't shrink back. I love this word shrink back. I'm not going to try to say it in the Greek because it's hard. But it says to draw back, to let down, to avoid, to be timid, to hesitate and take cover. You know what shrink back is? It's a flinch. The Jews hitting, hitting, persecution, hitting, hitting. And Paul says, it didn't make me flinch one bit. I didn't compromise my message. I didn't change it. I didn't soften it up. I didn't take the sting out of the gospel. I still called people to repent to God. Hit me, hit me, hit me. It's not going to make me flinch. That's the elder. Here's the point. Elders are faithful preachers and teachers of the gospel. You see that here clearly, right? Testifying, repentance toward God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message. He didn't change his message in the face of persecution. These are the types of men we want to be leading us, church. Men who 10, 20, 15 years from now, regardless of what the culture says and does and threatens and comes at, they will be men who will stay focused and stay faithful and preach the whole gospel, the whole truth, the bad news and the good news. They will call people to repentance. If you notice your pastors starting to, to speak more fluffy and not talk about sin because that's more attractive to the, the, the vibes of the, of the age, and we start to lead in such a way that just wants to make it a little bit more friendlier-ish because we don't want to, we're afraid of what if we say the truth, how that will hurt. That's not faithful gospel ministry. Look at these things. I did not shrink back. Declaring. Anangelo. It's an announcement. It's a disclosing. It's a proclamation. I didn't lower my volume on this. Elders, Ephesian elders, you know this. I was ready to go back into there. And you were the ones who said, no, maybe if I'll hold back. But you saw my heart. I was in this to the end. And I still am. Faithful preachers and teachers. I want us to just note this really cool, uh, really quickly. He declared, he taught in public and house to house. See, an elder feeds the word of God in various forms. Elders don't just preach the word from a pulpit. It's also at a church picnic on the yard. They're, they're just having conversation and talking and praying. And it's in a car ride. It's at the beach while they're surfing. It's, it's in public and it's in private. It's big group like this. And it's small group like Sunday school. It's various forms that the elders are to feed the word of God. But what doesn't change is the content of what we're teaching. You see that? Pray for your pastors. There's the preaching moment, like right here, right now. But then there's the moment after when Khalil and the boys are whipping up the food and we're just sitting and talking. Paul did it all. What an example. Elders are to be faithful preachers and teachers of the gospel. This is why when we study books like Titus and Timothy, what does Paul stress so much to these two young guys? 
preach the word. As for you, Titus, as for you, Timothy, everyone else can do what they're going to do. But you, pastor, you preach Christ. You preach Christ. You preach the cross. You preach the blood. You preach repentance. You point to Jesus. You call people. Trust him. He's real. He's alive. He's risen. That's what elders are to do. Let's keep going. Verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Right? Acts 19.21, he told us he resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. The spirit of God put it in him. Get a gift, bring it to Jerusalem, the hurting. Now look at this word, constrained by the Spirit. Deo. To be chained. It's prisoner terminology. You look up the Greek words for all the other verses that uses this, it's always about someone being bound or in prison or fastened. That's an interesting word, right? You ever hear people say, I'm arrested by the Spirit? That's where it's coming from. See, elders are to be men who are led, or if you want to use this word, constrained by the Spirit. Paul was a man, and you see, we see this in his life, right, from chapter 9 until now. He was led by the Spirit. What does that mean? That doesn't mean Paul was just like, you know, Spirit-led, you know. <laughs> let's, let's look at what it, in the negative, Galatians chapter 5. When you walk by the Spirit, you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. So to be someone who's led by the Spirit means to be someone that's not led by the flesh. Or you're not constrained by the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They oppose each other. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit means you're not enslaved to your sin. See, the elder is a spirit-led man. In other words, an elder, the elders are to be men. The Christian is to be a person who is not enslaved to sin. Romans 6 says we are slaves of righteousness. In this room, we're all slaves to something. But here's the question. Are you constrained by the flesh or the spirit? That's a big question tonight. It's a big question tonight. What made Paul go do and say and be who he was, was the spirit of God at work in him. And what has caused you and I to go and do and say and be in places that we are too embarrassed to share in this room was because we were constrained by sin. This evening, I, I, I ask you very, very lovingly and straightforwardly, do you love your sin? Are you in bondage this evening to something that you know is contrary to God? Brother, sister, friend, and I plead with you, confess your sins to God. He's faithful and just to forgive you. I'm with you. I'm among you. I'm no better than you. But you leave that sin in the dust. That's why I love the language he uses. It's, it's, it's racing terminology, right? It reads on. He says, only if I may finish my course. 
Are you led by the Spirit? Or are you led by the flesh? First Corinthians 9.24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Do not run aimlessly. Discipline your body. Keep it under control. Run. Run this race. Run that you might obtain it. Hebrews 12, it says this, Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so close. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, consider Him so that you don't grow weary and faint-hearted. Verse 12, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Run, run, strengthen yourself. The elders are to be people who are setting the pace and we're encouraging everyone. Let's run. Let's run this race together. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 to 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount on wings like eagles and they will run and not be weary and they will walk and not be faint. How are you running this evening? Are you running in such a way to obtain it? Sovereign God is over you and he's at work in you. So run. Run. Brothers, sisters, run. The last point. Verse 24, he says, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I do not count my life of any value. I do not count my life of any value. Does that sound like his letters? For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Affliction, pain awaits me. Yeah, bring it. An elder lays down his life for the cause of Christ. He lays it all down. Lose your life for my sake, you shall find it. Again, elder is just a model. Christian, we aspire for this. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Philippians 1. Sorry, I said last point. This is the last point. But before we move to that, just think, that's the type of pastors I want over me and among me. Like, this is life. I'm not pretending here. I'll lay it all down. I'll gladly spend and be spent. 
Pray for your pastors that they would set the pace. Verse 25, and we'll be pal. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So he's looking at all these elders in the eyes and he knows this is it, boys. This is it. I'm not going to see you again. Therefore, it's interesting what he says. I testify you to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. Why? I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Why would he use those words? Because if he did not, if he was an unfaithful pastor and shrank back and only preached parts of God's word, the fluffy parts, then he would be guilty as charged because that's not what the elders are to do. The elders are to be men who bring the word of God in its full. The whole counsel of God, the whole gospel. And he tells the brothers, even when you hated me, even when I told you the truth straight to your face, I gave it. I didn't shrink back. And I'm innocent of your blood. When he uses words like that, Paul understood that he is going to be called to account. He's charged by Jesus to bring the gospel, the whole thing. And if he didn't do it, and maybe he's referring to Ezekiel, their blood's on your hand. James 3.1 says, not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach, James an apostle, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Let me close with this verse. Go to Hebrews 13. Let's close here together. Hebrews chapter 13. The last point is this. Elders will be held accountable to God of how they pastored his people. Elders will be held accountable to God of how they pastor his people. And I'll be honest with you. I tremble saying that point. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 13. Let's look at verse 17. It says this, obey your leaders. Is that singular or plural? Okay, just, just driving that home. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Do you see that? Do you see that? I don't feel good about myself with inflated numbers. I get really uncomfortable when I'm in pastor circles at conferences or stuff, and they want to talk about how many people are at their church. Oh, so how much people you get at your church? It's like, uh, why don't you say how many souls are you accountable for? <laughs> I would just, five. That's plenty. <laughs> I mean, come on, parents, right? Every child's a soul. And you, want, you just want to have a full house to look nuts? That makes no sense to me when you read it from the Bible. Paul understood this. That's why he says to these elders, I love you guys. 
And you'll see at the end of the, the meeting, they're all sobbing over each other. They get a hard time saying goodbye. But he's like, I laid it all out. This is it. I will never see you until glory. And, and I'm innocent of your blood. I'm accountable to this. Now look at this. To finish the verse, he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. And I will close to say this, in the past seven years-ish, almost seven years of being here in Nuuanu, it's been nothing but joy for me. Nothing but joy. And I love that I could say that with some real, realness in my heart. Nothing but joy. When I go and speak other places, it's, it's nice, but I always come and tell Bob, Johnny, and I'm mad. I miss, there's nothing like home. Like, 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 like you're not numbers and you're not statistics. You are precious souls, children of God. And we get to be in this little part of the world together for this little season. And we're going to run alongside among each other. And I get to be a part of that and root you on into glory. You know, there's uh, a few funerals on the horizon of people, um, you know, there's um, Cindy Chira, there's Stan Ishikawa, um, there's my, my good friend Richie Mendevel, um, these, and all three of them, it was crazy, I was thinking about, they've all been members of, or been part of this church. We've, they've all ran the, the faith together in this building at some point in their journey. And what's an amazing and exhilarating thought for me to think is that their race is done and they finished. And we get to come alongside them and cheer and root and cry and hurt. I love that it says the word joy. It's not always fun and happy, but oh, it's joy. Inexpressible and glorious joy. See, the eldership, the pastorate, this is what it's about. This is how we are to pray for one another. And right now the text is, I'm just presenting it to you, especially for your pastors. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we put the meeting, the elders meeting on pause right now, oh, what an amazing example the Apostle Paul was to those Ephesian elders and is trickling down through history to us. Oh, that we'd be a people who live among one another. That fellowship time after this wouldn't be a time to just kind of eat, but a time to just be together. I pray that you bless our conversations. I pray that you bless our text messaging, our emailing, our thinking of one another, our praying for one another. I pray that you'd well up within our hearts to serve with all humility that we would be faithful to the gospel message, for it is the call of the church to be the pillar and buttress of truth. And the elders are to just set the pace. Pray that we'd be led by your spirit and not by our flesh. I pray that you'd help us to run. If there be any brothers and sisters who are entangled in sin this evening, those sins would be confessed now, tonight, in this moment, that they repent and turn to Christ and run. Not aimlessly but seriously and disciplined. And I pray that all of us, God, would lay it all down for the cause of Christ. 
And that when that beautiful moment comes where we all graduate into glory, are we there at the river? 10,000 years from now, we'd be singing these songs together. What an amazing moment, moments those will be. This is the reality that we Christians live in. Eternal life. Life, life, eternal life. God help us run, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.